We are up to mitzvah number 74. This is the prohibition for a judge to hear one side of the case without the presence of the other side. You cannot hear one of the plaintiffs without the defendant or defendant's representative being present. And the verse for this is chapter 23, verse 1 of the book of Exodus, and that is to not accept a false report. If you're a judge, if you're part of a judiciary, you may not accept a false report. And therefore, the way this is understood by the Talmud and by the Halacha is that you should not listen to one side of the case without the other side being there and being able to challenge or object to the version of history of the other side. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, the book that we are using to guide us through the mitzvos, he asks the obvious question, wait a minute, why is this considered a false report? It's not necessarily false, it's just unfair perhaps, it's non-equitable, but why is it considered false? And he says that if there's two people who have a conflict, who disagree, they are litigants in a particular case, each one has their version of what happened. Each one believes, hopefully we assume that most people are being honest, they believe their version of the story and they believe that they're they're in the correct, they're, they're in the right. Their side is, is, is the true version of, of history, of what happened. But when the opponent is not there, they can embellish their story and they can make up maybe facts or omit important details because after all, the other side is not there to contradict us. And therefore, there's this mitzvah to not hear one side of the argument without the presence of the other. And that's considered a false report because by definition, when two people disagree and one person can present their story without the ability for the other side to contradict it, they're going to twist it and embellish it in a way that's going to be very convincing. And that is the definition of a false report. Now, Rashi in his commentary adds that first impressions matter. It's really hard to undo this kind of damage. If you hear a lie before you hear the rebuttal, the fact check, if you will, of that lie, it's very hard to undo a belief that you have. Lies, as they say, are kind of sticky. Once you have them, they tend to stick. And therefore, it's very important, it's imperative, it's a mitzvah for a judge to not hear one side of the case and to not become convinced in the merits of that argument without the other person and the other side being represented in court to be able to rebut and tell their version of the story at the same time. Now, this prohibition is not just on the judge, it's also a prohibition against the litigant And therefore, if a litigant goes in front of the judge and tells him, hey, let me tell you my side of the story, either in court or informally, come, let's talk, let's schmooze, let's have a conversation, let me tell you what actually happened, that would be a violation both on the part of the judge and on the part of the litigant. Now, the Talmud tells us that this prohibition extends to telling over Lashon Hara, i.e. not in a judicial context. But if anyone tells something negative about their fellow to a third party, that is Lashonara, that is evil talk, and that is prohibited for many reasons. And one of the verses 
that is included under the rubric of Lashon Hara is this first, not only the person who tells over Lashon Hara, who tells over the evil report about an individual, but also the person who accepts that report, who listens, that too is included. And in addition, if there is a witness who fabricates a story, who makes up a lie, who perpetrates a hoax, he too would be in violation of this prohibition. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, as he always does, tries to give us a reason for this mitzvah. And as we always reiterate, this is not the actual reason. The real reason why we do something is because God tells us to do it or to not do it. But it's important for us to make the mitzvah more understandable. And therefore, the Sefer Chinuch always offers a reason to be able to understand, from our perspective, why this is important. So he tells us that falsehood and lying is detestable and repugnant, and loathsome. And it's the antithesis of God. The signet, so to speak, of God, we're told in the Talmud, is truth. And the exact opposite of that is falsehood. And God is the source of all blessing. And therefore, the opposite of God is the opposite of blessing. And therefore, falsehood, which is the opposite of God, is the opposite of blessing, and thus, Curses, we're told, befall those who espouse falsehood because they're embracing the antithesis of God, whose signet is truth, and thus blessings are only found in those who emulate God and adhere to the truth. And therefore, we should be truthful just like God is truthful, and we should be merciful just like God is merciful, and we should be kind and benevolent just like God is kind and benevolent, and if we act opposite to the ways of God, we will get the opposite of blessing. And therefore, he tells us, the verse tells us, that not only must we not engage in falsehood and not tell lies, that's a violation of Torah, but the verse tells us, midvar sheker tirchak, you should distance yourself from a matter of falsehood. Not just a prohibition to not do it, but you have to actually make an area, so to speak, between you, like a buffer zone between you and the falsehood. You should be distant. Not just you should not do falsehood. You should actually distance and withdraw yourself from falsehood. And the reason why the Torah goes so far is to say not only don't do falsehood, but be distant from it is because it's such a bad thing. It's so antithetical to God. And therefore, you have to actually distance yourself from it, something which is not found by many other prohibitions. Moreover, we should not listen to any falsehood. And even if we don't know that something is false, but we have a certain suspicion, maybe there's some falsehood, we should run away, we should not listen to it, and we should be distant from even a hint, a scintilla, if you will, a whiff of falsehood. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, he has an interesting aside where he talks about the nature of God's attributes, which I thought was interesting. And, and he stresses this point that even though we're talking about God having an attribute, he's kind, he's merciful, he is truthful. The way this is understood on a theological level is only as per the perceptions of us. Meaning, the way we perceive God is that he is truthful. He is merciful. He is kind. But that is not something we should attribute to God's essence. God does not have disparate 
characteristics, attributes, that would be a violation of the principle of God's unity. We believe Hashem Echad God is one, and therefore He cannot have different qualities. But the way we perceive it is that God is truthful and God is merciful, etc. And therefore it's important to not make that mistake when we talk about God's characteristics to not get the false impression that we are viewing God as multidimensional when He is just one. Now, some of the laws of this particular mitzvah is that if you are a judge and there is a fraudulent case, you get the sense that maybe the witness is lying or there's some sort of chicanery going on over here, you must recuse yourself from this particular case. And don't wash your hands and say, you know what, it's on the witness I'm going to be the judge, and I'm just going to accept the testimony and the evidence as it's given to me, and I'm not going to judge the motives of the people involved here. If someone wants to be guilty, if someone wants to to lie, if someone wants to cheat, I'm going to let them do that, because after all, that's not my role in the story. No, this Mr. tells us that the judge has to make sure that the judgment that he is overseeing is one that is true and just. Now, I was thinking about this mitzvah. You know, most of us are not involved in the judiciary. We're not judges. We're not, most of us, I would assume, are not even lawyers. But I still think that we have to make judgments all the time. And I think this idea of hearing one side of the story without hearing the other side of the story is something which is very relevant to us in our lives. You know, sometimes you say, you hear a conversation, but you hear only one side of the conversation. And then it's, it's a disturbing version of, of what happened. And then you say, let me, let me speak, let me confront even the other person involved. Did you really say that? They say, no, you misunderstood. That happens all the time. One person says one version of the story, you hear it, and it's colored by the person who gives, who gives over that report. And you speak to the other people involved, and it's a totally different version of what happened. And either important details were omitted or um, the emphasis was placed on, on, on one thing and not the other and a totally different picture emerges. And therefore, it's critical if you want to be honest and you want to understand people's motivations to hear both sides before you make a judgment and preferably to hear them both at the same time. We live in a world where everyone has biases. Everyone sees the world in a unique way, and when a person gives their version of the story that involves other people, and you can't believe such a thing happened, it's important before you cast any judgment to speak to someone else who maybe was there, and oftentimes, almost invariably, you'll find that that either never happened or was misinterpreted uh, or the like, and uh, you won't have a corrupted version of uh, of that event. I... Uh, a couple of years ago, made an unfortunate decision to get involved in a community matter. There was something going on in the community and there was a disagreement about a certain issue or a certain institution. And it kind of was bubbling up and it was getting controversial and there was people involved and there was um, passions were inflamed. And I was trying to mind my own business and keep out of it. And uh, someone told me, how could you keep quiet? You have to get involved. 
You have to try to help resolve this dispute. And I made the unfortunate decision to listen to them. So I sat down with one side of this dispute and I spoke to everyone involved. I said, what do you want? What are your priorities? What are the things you're willing to compromise with? What are the things that are non-negotiable? What are the deal breakers? And to try to figure out if there's a way to resolve this. If there's a way to resolve it, everyone will be happy, right? Isn't that what we want? So I sat down, it was hours and hours of work, sitting and speaking to every person involved and trying to say, okay, let's figure out if we could create a certain uh, memorandum of understanding what really matters and what are the things that are negotiable. I felt like uh, President uh, Woodrow Wilson organizing the 14 points, right? Sometimes it's a little bit too ambitious. It kind of had the same result, shall we say, of uh, of his League of Nations. So... I hammered out one side's priorities and then I wrote down a certain memorandum and I said, hey, do you guys approve of this? You approve of this? You're willing to go with this plan? Amazing. Yes. Okay. Now it's time to turn to the other side. But instead of doing the same process with the other side, I just sent them or they asked to see the memorandum and it was totally misinterpreted and it I got such nasty emails from people uh, really accusing me of things that were totally untrue because the version of, you know, what they, so to speak, heard about this story was, you know, was presented in a way that uh, gave off a false impression. And uh, every periodically I go back and look at that email. And it's funny because uh, maybe this is a good lesson. You know, someone he sent that nasty email and he CC'd everyone involved. And I started writing like, yes, I'm going to write back a response. I'm going to I'm gonna defend myself. And, uh, you know, they always say, before you send an angry email, maybe sleep on it. And I'm still sleeping on it. It's been a couple of years now. And I, I think I still have in the draft what my response is, but I never actually sent it. I'm happy I didn't send it. Every time I look at that email, it makes me less less angry than I was the first time, or the previous time. But I guess uh, it was a, a fait accompli. It was going to happen anyhow. Um, I, I had come into the game a little bit too late. Uh, but this always, I think this taught this taught me a good lesson that the fact that you know you want to be some impartial intermediary. In a conflict, you're essentially like a judge. And to do that, when you have people who are, you know, have vastly different versions of what happened, of what matters, of what's important, of what's negotiable, of, of what even, you know, what actually even happened to cause this conflict and just people living in different worlds on a given issue, uh, you have to keep that in mind if you're going to, uh, uh, try to resolve uh, a dispute. So I say, even though we're not judges in a court, in the traditional sense, all of us have to make judgment calls. And this is a very valuable thing. People have different perspectives. And you hear one perspective without the other perspective, you are getting a false report. And it's possible that it's a false report and people are lying willfully and wantonly. And it's also possible that they're not lying. It's just that's their version of, of what happened and they're biased like everyone else is and they have cognitive dissonance like everyone else has. But regardless, it's important, it's imperative for you to see both sides to be able to have a, a clean version or a, a, an accurate version of, of the story before you try to proceed. 
Okay, as always, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. I look forward to your questions, your comments, your feedback of all sorts. And I thank you all for listening.